Sarah McElroy felt helpless and hopeless in her job. She felt trapped running on the hamster wheel in her CMO role, even though it was taking a massive toll on her health and her well-being. It was everything she thought she ever wanted, but she was in for a surprise. Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. With me today on Never Ever Give Up Hope is Sarah McElroy. She is a former hustle culture devotee, ex-chief marketing officer, the Wall Street Journal's poster girl for pandemic career burnout, and a two-time member of the Great Resignation Class of 2021 and 2022. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Carol. Wonderful to be here today. Thank you so much for having me. So just share a little bit, if you would, about your story and feeling trapped in your first job. Sure, absolutely. Well, this harkens back to 2020 when I accepted a new job as a CMO and I was thrilled. I was working at a Fortune 500 global hospitality company as a senior manager. So the opportunity to become a CMO was huge and everything I thought I'd mm -hmm. always wanted. I grew up the good girl, the overachiever, high school valedictorian, like just so focused and oriented toward what the world thought of Sarah and what the world thought that Sarah should do with her life and how it should be and what it should look like, all of those things. And so when I get the CMO job, I'm so thrilled. I'm also in graduate school working on an executive MBA program. And between both this job, and I'm the, the youngest member of the executive team, trying to keep my plate spinning at work and doing okay. homework at night, in the mornings, even before I'm going into work and on the weekends, I was working up to 20 hours a day. Now, not every single day, but it was really unsustainable. Oh. And I kind of had this a uh, conversation with myself of like, you know, it's going to be okay on the other side of graduating. It'll all get better. It'll all balance out. You just kind of need to hold on uh, for the next six months because I was going into my final semester. And what I realized, though, is that the job I was in was an immensely toxic culture. And I was treated as, because I was the youngest person on the executive team, as that kid's sister on like good days, on bad days even worse. And there was a lot of, you know, kind of toxic behavior as far as playing fast and loose with like ethics and morals and things like that. And it was 
becoming clear to me that I wasn't going to be able to stay in this role because of Mm -hmm. the conflict between my personal set of values and the organization itself, not just the overworking piece of things. So I ended up, I graduated in December of 2021 and I did start looking for a new job. I'd only been in that job for all of, you know, five months at that time. And I'm thinking, (laughs) oh my goodness, I'm going to have to find Another one after the dream job was not so much the dream job. And, you know, I'm, I'm cutting back on my hours. I'm trying to set better boundaries. And I'm doing all of those things that, like, they tell you to do when you're burned out and you're uh, really struggling in a work environment. Mm-hmm. But a few months later, even after I've cut back on work, I'm still getting – I got shingles, actually. I'm still having, like, wow. physical – uh, symptoms of the stress and it, and it manifested ultimately as a shingles diagnosis at the age of 36 years old in April, 2023. And it was really that wake up call moment of like, Oh my God, this is no way to live because I was, Mm. I was actually really thrilled when I got the shingles diagnosis because I'd get to have (laughs) eight days off from work and nobody could, call me weak or, you know, look down on me or anything. I just, you know, couldn't give myself that permission, but it felt like, okay, this is the hall pass and I've got this break and this is, this is amazing. But as I'm walking out of the doctor's office after feeling that really that elation when he tells me I have shingles, (laughs) kind of come back around to like, okay, Sarah, this is not the way any of this was ever supposed to go. Yes, you had the picture of climbing the ladder to the C-suite and you made it there, but it doesn't look like what you thought it was going to look like. And I wasn't happy. You know, it's just such a funny thing that we, in having an external orientation and looking out at the world and saying, you know, I want to to do X, Y, Z with my career. I want to climb the ladder. I want these achievements, all of that. We have this idea of what will make us happy, but research has actually shown that we are pretty bad at predicting what will yeah. ultimately make us happy when we get there. Right. So that was really what happened um, with that experience. So at the end of that shingles diagnosis or like the five, uh, eight days off I had from shingles at the end of the eight days off, I ended up quitting that job. And I uh, took a trip to Peru to reset my frayed nervous system. I got a new job down in Florida and, you know, made a move being so committed to prioritizing myself, my personal life, my happiness in this new fresh start that I gave myself. And that fresh start was a new job as well, correct? Correct. Exactly. It was. And what happened there? Well, Carol, that uh, that job also turned out to not be the greatest fit. And I was struggling to understand why I was having so much anxiety going into the office. And now as I look back, it is abundantly clear. But I was having so much anxiety going into the office. I was still feeling burnt out and overwhelmed, even though I was working a normal schedule of 8.30 to 5.30. But amidst all of uh, the the things that had happened with moving and trying to change all of my environment to help myself and catching lots of beach sunrises and sunsets and just really focusing on prioritizing my well-being and happiness, it became the contrast between the kind of culture and work environment I would want and the way that I was treating myself outside of work. So the contrast between the new job, the culture at the new company and 
the way that I'm prioritizing myself in my personal life and starting to see the benefit of building momentum there, it became very clear that this was not an organization that I wanted to be a part of. I was actually dealing with some sexually harassing comments that were made that were never investigated for months. And finally, when they were investigated, it became just really clear to me that I was not being heard. There were no new outcomes. Nothing was changing. And it was just sort of this Band-Aid. And it felt like the part of Sarah that had cracked open with that shingles diagnosis, that little bit of awakening of like, this probably is not the way that life really is meant to be, just was shattered when that happened. And I remember getting off the phone with HR, hanging up the phone, and the woman is even kind of excusing the behavior and what was said and what happened, saying it was, you know, this person's style and how they talk to people. And it was just like, I just, I knew I couldn't walk back into that office. So I actually, later that night, I'm just fuming, honestly. I I draft this (laughs) blistering anti-harassment, power of women's voices, resignation letter. And I take my laptop into the office the next morning before seven. I hit send on the letter as I'm there at my desk, send it to the CEO, HR, the my boss, and I just walk out the door. And I have never <laughs> done anything like that before because I'm good a good you. girl, Carol. Like, I don't even recognize myself. But what that did, that choosing of myself and doing something mm. that was so out of character and that some would even say is a bit extreme like I wouldn't you know I wouldn't go and do that now but it was so important to that moment of being able to right. short circuit right. the pattern of Sarah to then say okay this is a new moment moving forward wow did that feel good it did it did but then as soon as I left and I ended up going over to my boyfriend's house after I started feeling that fear You know, because all of a sudden it's like what we're tethered to, even if it's making us sick or it's toxic, it's uncomfortable, any of those things, our brains are wired in such a way that the familiar, even if it's hurting us, Mm -hmm. will be what we cling to rather than uncertainty. There there was a study that was done that found uh, research participants actually preferred knowing that a negative outcome was coming in a scenario for which they were they were set up within this experiment they actually preferred a negative outcome to arrive and knowing that it was going to come than uncertainty and having there be the possibility that a positive outcome could be what they, they end up with so i think that's just so fascinating is that we find that we can't stay on the lily pad that we've been on for a very long time because it's very uncomfortable. We've been pushed to the very edge. And that's what it felt like for me. Like that was really the kick to to make me leap. But it's that navigating on the other side that can be so hard to keep up the hope and the momentum and belief that you know that there's going to be something better on that next lily pad, even if you can't see it yet. I can only imagine how many people, women in particular, are relating to what you're sharing right now. I know you already know that. Yes. (laughs) So that's what we want to talk about next. How did Raise to Rise start? Yes. Well, so after I leave that job or, you know, quit the job and I am so emboldened walking out the door, but within 20 minutes later, I'm over at my boyfriend's house being like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do now? (laughs) 
I just, I felt like there was something to be done in this space of burnout, the ways in which we're we're changing how we work, the great resignation, all of those things. Actually, between when I quit the job, the CMO role, and moved down to Florida and started out down here, my story got picked up by the Wall Street Journal, and that's how I became what is kind of shown as the poster role for pandemic career mm, burnout mm-hmm, recovery. Mm-hmm. I did a podcast episode for them and you'll you'll listen to the host Kate Linebaugh. She closes out the episode. It's very much Sarah finding her uh, bit of peace and a slower pace of life, more balance uh, on the water in a little beach town in Florida. And that was so true in, you know, in that moment. Mm-hmm. But what I didn't realize was just, how much more unpacking and excavating there was going to have to be because to get to the point that you would work yourself into shingles and be happy about it at 36 Mm -hmm. years old, there's a lot, there's decades worth uh, to be untangled in that related to belief systems, the things that I thought I had to do. You know, so many women were all experiencing this, especially because of the good girl conditioning piece of things that it's, it's very insidious. You think about like the way girls and boys are raised and certainly boys have their own challenges and how they are expected to show up in society. But I think for us as women, being that the good student, you know, not being talkative, listening to uh, teachers, parents, authority figures, falling in line, taking care of others, all of those things that have been deemed to be more of the feminine gender traits, all of that conditioning and programming can make it so that we struggle to be in our careers, for example, and to be able to make decisions that are right for us. We can be held back by fear, the feelings of, you know, I I have to do this. I should be here. I can't let down my team. You know, there's just so much within the the responsibility that women hold. And, you know, then you add on the duties at home too. It can make it really difficult for us to see clearly what may need to change and what we might want to do differently in the way that we work because there's just so much chaos and stress every day and we're programmed to be this way looking out for our families and being the the caretakers and the leaders how much does guilt play into that it's huge it's huge carol i mean it's a, a very silly example here because I don't even have children of my own, but I have a puppy and I have her downstairs sleeping as we're having this podcast. And I even feel guilt about like leaving my puppy for, <laughs> you know, being able to work, right? Like it's such a, it's a funny thing because like from a logical, rational standpoint, I know she's probably happy having right. a break from me for a little while, right? But it's that that pull that feels so impossible to ignore that's coming from our our physiology at times that that makes that guilt feel so real and so unavoidable like we can't choose to override it or go against it so speaking about the great resignation what shifted there in the way that women approach their careers you know i think it was a real breaking point moment for many many women the annual Women in the Workplace report, which Lean In and McKenzie put out every year, this year's version of it, which came out in October of 2022, called what we were seeing with women 
leading the Great Resignation and this mass exodus of, of women walking out from corporate jobs, they called it the Great Breakup. And they said, let's be clear, women yeah. are not saying that they don't want to work, that they don't want to, you know, be ambitious and have like goals and be able to balance work and life and all of those things like that's they want all that women want that what they're saying no to amidst the great resignation it's bad bosses toxic cultures and mm. places that are not honoring that work-life balance and the fact that we may need to work differently our schedules the way we approach things the kinds of jobs that we do have to look different for different seasons of life depending on our priorities, our personal lives, all of those things. And so I think it was a real wake up call for women. You know, I, I certainly saw it in interviewing women from the great resignation for race to rise, my journalism project, but to see it then on a macro, cause you know, I'm collecting all these little data points through these right. stories, but on a macro level to see that this was resonant across the board, women are starting to say, I have more of a choice, I have more of a voice, and I have a say here. My needs matter when it comes to how I'm designing a work life that I will love. And I think it's really powerful to see women taking back the reins in, in their careers. What is one of the biggest hurdles that people stay in toxic jobs? You know, I think it goes back to what we're talking about with that lily pad. And certainly I had that experience too. I honestly think my last two jobs and the way or the reasons that I left, the way that it became so extreme, you know, health crisis, a sexual harassment situation, I honestly felt like I needed really severe uh, conditions to kick me out of corporate. I honestly think I am meant to be an entrepreneur. In fact, I'd always said it, Carol. I'd said it since I was probably 25. I used to say I'm an entrepreneur without my big idea. And it was never something that I felt like I could do. I was too scared to do it. And so I think not knowing what is going to be on the other side, facing all that is to come, not necessarily knowing how to get from point A to point B, that keeps us stuck until we are really forced to rub up against our edges and say, like, enough, no more of this. Mm -hmm. Excellent point. Well, you certainly have given us a lot to think about. I definitely appreciate your enthusiasm. And what we're going to talk about next is what women can do, what you are offering, who is going to benefit. And that's the exciting part. And so stay with us. We'll be right back. Carol Graham would like to show you the path from misery to miraculous triumph in her fast-paced memoir, Battered Hope. She relates her determination to succeed as someone who experienced one horrendous nightmare after another, gang raped and left for dead, loss of a child, husband falsely imprisoned, and cancer. Nothing could break her tenacity or faith. No matter what you face, heartache, loss, suffering or injustice, Carol will illustrate how she became a victor the same way you can. The secret is to never, ever give up hope. Order your copy at Amazon or batteredhope.blogspot.com. I never ever give up hope today. We're talking to Sarah McElroy and she has been enthusiastic and also challenging to our listeners, because there are those who are listening who feel stuck, 
who are in a career that they don't want to be in, who feel that they need to change, but maybe don't have the courage to do so. So as we continue our conversation with you, Sarah, I'd like you to encourage the audience and also to explain what Raise to Rise is and who would benefit. Sure. Well, Raise to Rise was the journalism project that after I, I quit that job, I decided I want to wanted to find out what other women were experiencing amidst the great resignation. So I reached out to the many, many women that I could, I could find on LinkedIn, I mean, around the globe, not just an American phenomenon, but speaking to all these women to capture their stories and what were the nuggets of wisdom that they had to share in making that bold career leap. I became really fascinated by that defining moment because I knew that my defining moment to be able to walk away in both of those jobs was so charged (laughs) and so Mm -hmm. powerful really in setting the sail for the direction of my future that that's what I wanted to know from other women. And so where that has gone now with the great resignation coming to a close, according to economists, where I see us going now is we're, we're taking forward the universal themes, the things that we've learned from those who did make moves during the great resignation. We're carrying them forward to establish a better way of working, a new playbook for women. And so that's really where my work has gone is to take what we learned and to say, how can this be applied future forward, knowing that McKenzie did a study last July and the co-author of the study who found that 40% of people still wanted to quit their jobs. And this was while the great resignation was still hot. But, but she said in the report, she said, we are never going back to the way that we worked in 2019. This yeah. marks a structural shift to the workforce, not an episodic blip. And that's what I really think we're, we're seeing here. So who would benefit from this program of yours? It's an amazing thing with these kinds of journeys that we go on and we have this idea of how we're going to get from that one lily pad to the second lily pad. But what we fail to remember in our plotting out exactly what it's going to look like on paper, we fail to remember that there may be many obstacles, tests, triggers, but also surprise and delight moments that happen along the way that are so (laughs) unexpected. But if we stay open to the lessons that those obstacles teach us and really the gifts of kind of like those little surprising moments, it can create a really just magical experience that is so much different than plotting out your entire life on paper and then trying to execute. So for me, for example, I just recently was diagnosed with ADHD and it's been really hard to learn that and to go through the process of getting medicated. But what I'm starting to see is that as challenging as it's been and as sick as I felt uh, managing these symptoms and stuff, It's been amazing to be able to see myself clearly in a different way than I ever have been able to. So I would toss that out there too, that a lot of the gifts, and it's a cliche thing, right? Like it's not the destination, it's the journey, but a lot of the gifts of a career transition or making this kind of leap is what we learn about ourselves along the way, as it's certainly been for me. And I would imagine it will be for listeners here as well. Well, any type of transition is a stepping stone, correct? Absolutely. And that's the way we have to look at it. 
Yes, yes. Yeah. Instead of looking at it negatively, which is exactly what you have done. And I thank you for that. Yes. Well, so where it's going actually is it's becoming a book called Women Who Walk. I uh, landed a book deal and it's a new toolkit for professional women, especially those who feel stuck, to determine the the path forward, leaving what it is they need to leave behind, but also being able to design their career moving forward for a more from a more conscious and intentional place. So we're talking about values, lifestyle, the type of culture that we want to be in. It may even mean for some people, some women may choose to even downshift out of roles that, you know, maybe like kind of like me, the CMO role actually wasn't fulfilling. Maybe a a manager level or a, a director level might be more fulfilling. So the toolkit helps you to make all of those assessments and to determine a new path to head down that's more aligned with who you are and your personal truths. Explain more fulfilling. Okay, so this is such a passion point for me. The way that I look at fulfillment is in a broad sense. I think I chased fulfillment for a very long time, wanting it to mean that I loved my work every single day and that it was the happiest, most life-giving element of my life. Because honestly, I, after a a divorce in 2014, I really fell into that trap of like, well, I'm good at my career. That makes me valuable, at least to the companies that I work for. So that is in essence who I am. So I used to look at fulfillment as this shiny object of like pure happiness, pure bliss in my work at all times. And what I've come to realize since beginning this journey is that our careers are just like our lives. As much as we try to say that we can design our careers on paper and then go execute against whatever plan that is, you know, the the plan of like, oh, I want to become a project manager. So I'm going to get this certification. I'm going to reach out to these people. I'm going to apply to these jobs, et cetera. Like we've all been taught to have this approach to finding a job that is this very logical, rational approach. But what I personally have found is that our careers are just like our lives. There will be the the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows. We will see that there will be struggle, but the struggle is part of the lessons and it creates richness, depth, and fulfillment. Emily Esfahani is an author who wrote a book called The Power of Meaning. It's it's probably about 10 years old now, but really amazing. And she talks about one of the ways in which we find meaning is through storytelling and being able to understand the hardships that we experience and be able to tell that story in a way, create that almost that's, I guess it's a form of narrative psychology to tell ourselves how this story has come to be to take us where we get to. So I personally see fulfillment as a place of peace and contentment and even a bit of surrender to say like, my career is going to be just like my life. There are going to be good days and there are going to be bad days. But as long as I am coming back to me to make the decisions about what I want, who I want to be, how I want to show up, and I'm trusting myself, my inner compass, I uh, really believe in intuition and the signals that we get from our bodies when they're telling us to make changes, for example, shingles. And <laughs> as long as we keep coming back to that and use that as our North Star, we will be able to navigate any of the, the the joys, the sorrows along the way. 
But that's really what creates that richness of fulfillment, in my opinion now. Do you have anything in particular that you would like to offer the audience, whether it's um, just a word of encouragement or something specific? Yes. Well, I would say that the word of encouragement I would like to offer is that if you are feeling stuck right now, you are feeling that way for a reason. And we're taught to ignore that, <laughs> to yeah. stuff it down for for a good period of time, when we think that our outside world looks like what it should, we will often ignore that. I certainly did. My advice would be to always trust that part of you. I Mm -hmm. deeply believe that we are born with the ability to know exactly what is right for us. It's just really hard to know what that is sometimes and to hear ourselves over the cacophony of noise that comes from the outside world. So trust that part of you and act on it if it's if it's calling you. Any particular mantra come to mind? For me, I've been just really telling myself I trust myself and hammering that home every single day because the way that I lived my life looking to everyone else for approval and, you know, did I do a good job on that project? Did I crush that presentation at work? Whatever it is we lose a sense of the the answers within us and how to trust ourselves. And so that's what I lean on is I trust myself. Or if you can't get there and you can't say it yet, you can, uh, you can say something like, I'm learning to trust myself. I'm working toward trusting myself. I'm building trust in myself. Something that might be a little bit easier for your brain to wrap around until it feels like an embodied belief. That's what I would recommend. I love that learning to trust yourself in other words it's not so cut and dried but it's a it's a growth process it very much is it's flexing a muscle right just like anything else that we do well sarah this has been definitely enlightening and encouraging and as i said earlier i love your enthusiasm all of the uh, ways to contact you will be on the web page and i encourage women no matter where they are in their careers to listen, to contact you. All of your contact info will be there as well. And I thank you for being on Never Ever Give Up Hope. Thank you, Carol. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.